Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from as Nostradamus. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And still to come, she's a cable news megastar, an author, and most importantly, a mama, Kaylee McEnany. Plus, Justin Gesso and Andrea Berg in the spotlight, along with Assignment Desk Weekend. And now, from Times Square, where the mayor is passing out flyers that say, Us foe and no mo, here's that Kevin! I'm not. I'm not sure that that's what those flyers said at all, Dave. You got to check your facts better. Hey, it's time to get into the news of the week. Here's assignment desk weekend. This week, executives from seven different AI companies met at the White House on Friday to sign on to an agreement secured by President Biden to ensure that AI will continue to grow, but with safeguards to prevent abuse. The executives were somewhat surprised that it only cost them $10 million to secure Biden's support. Well, technically that's not true. Five million for Biden's support, five million for the guy that drops dime bags in the library. It was a rough week for the White House, ending on this particularly confusing note after attempting to do a press conference following the private meeting on the AI deal. Um, he attempted a press conference on the dangers or benefits of whether or not AI would hurt or help America. And for what it's worth, Simon Desk Weekend is still confused. We couldn't figure out which way the press conference was going. But as it was wrapping up, the president was seen running away from a question on a recent attempt by Chinese hackers to penetrate White House officials. President was also heard mumbling to himself as he walked away, I'm the AI. If any of you think I'm Abe Lincoln, blame the AI. No joke, that actually happened. Mayor Eric Adams pictured here trying not to insult survivors of Nazi Germany, harder for him on some days, announced a change to the world's most famous sanctuary city. Take a look. Just over a year ago, you tweeted, quote, New York City will remain a sanctuary city under an Adams administration. What is your message to migrants arriving in the U.S.? Should they still come to New York City? Well, I think that they should come to any place in the country that they desire uh, their pursuit of the American dream. We stated several months ago that we have reached full capacity. We're going to see how much of our cup has basically runneth over. We have no more room in the city. 
Wow. Snob. Sounds kind of like the innkeepers from Bethlehem. There's no room. We have no more room. And speaking biblically, I'm pretty sure he got that whole cup runneth over thing wrong, too. Speaking of big city problems, a man who owns a small sandwich shop in San Francisco is now recovering after being punched in the face by a man who was urinating outside the front window of his eatery. Yes, evidently, if you're concerned that a large male relieving himself may not be appetizing to have done in front of your diners, you're the problem. Yeah, it's you. You're the problem. It's you, you bigot. How dare you? Speaking of uh, Hunter, <clears throat> and puzzle me this. If Joe is the big guy, what does that make Hunter? The little guy? Anyway, Hunter Biden's attorney, Abe Lowell, this week filed a very angry ethics complaint against Marjorie Taylor Greene after she displayed some fuzzed out photos of the little guy in Congress. Lowell demanded that the Congressional Ethics Office immediately examine her actions. I mean, never mind the corruption, the extortion, any of those crimes. It takes real guts for a coke-snorting, escort-using guy who knocks up strippers then abandons the baby to be offended in public. Oh, wait. The, the little guy. I'd, I'd be offended, too. I, I get it. I get it. All right. Assignment Desk Weekend has been digging deep into the Biden bribery scheme, and we've come up with five significant takeaways. Uh, and these may not be in any specific order. But number five, Biden's uh, the Biden family, the whole Biden crew are terrible money managers. How can how can Hunter literally need that much money over and over again and have nothing to show for it except for the strippers and the coke? OK, never mind. That makes sense. Number four. Who knew Hunter was so fluent in Russia, Russian, Chinese, and WhatsApp? Because he is. Sent a lot of messages through WhatsApp, kind of threatening ones, to big, important people. Number three, hair sniffing. That whole hair sniffing thing from Dad, it's, uh, it's very misunderstood. You and I think it has to do with him trying to be fresh with young girls. Really, it's because he's lost his eyesight and he cannot find the line. Oh, that's not it. <laughs> Number two, uh, President Biden certainly has cashed in on his career in public service, making money hand over fist at every level. This couldn't be stopped. And number one, we discovered, we think it's important, Hunter is the little guy. And that's Assignment Desk Weekend. It was like a, a war overseas. Like, do you know what country uh, was invaded by the U.S.? Korea. What is it? Korea. Yeah, the Korean War. Korea. Yeah, yeah. What is 11% of 100? 11% of 100. Around what number is that? that? Wouldn't that be like 
80 sign. It will be somewhere around there. I'm not. Give popular. me a number. You're close. 75. Yes, very good. Do you know who the first female vice president was? Um, Michelle Obama. Yes, very good. What's 10 times 10 times 10? Thousand? No. Ten thousand? Ten. Do you know what country Joe Biden was born in? Like originally from? No. If you had to guess, like picture his face, what does he look like? Uh. I don't know. Like what? Let me guess. Uh. Canada? Yes. What's bigger, one third of a pound or one fourth of a pound? One fourth of a pound. Of course. Easy. What's heavier, a thousand pounds of bricks or a thousand pounds of feathers? thousand pounds of bricks. It's too easy. How did you get that? It's easy. Do you know what country we gained our independence from? Mexico, right? No, no, that's so wrong. Russia, no. <laughs> I don't know. Give me a final guess. Canada, I don't know. Yes. How many continents are there? I don't know. 21? Yes. Do you know who the first president of the USA was? It wasn't George, no. I'm just gonna say George Washington, but I know it wasn't. It so, wasn't. what's your guess? But Give me your I best no guess. No idea. Abraham Lincoln. Is that your final guess? Yeah. Yes. Do you know what the four directions on a compass are? No, not at all. If you had to guess. Uh, on a compass. Give me your best guess. On a compass? Yeah. Um, Do you know what a compass is? I got nothing. Have you heard of a compass before? Maybe. Yeah, alright. That's kind of Do you know what 7 plus 7 plus 7 is? 28. Do you know who fought in the Mexican-American War? No, I don't know. Give me a guess. Two countries. Who fought? Um, America and Utah. You know, the famous American in Utah battle in the Mexican-American War. Oh, that's our friend Justin Awad in uh, Times Square. Coming right back. Ready or not, he'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is no stranger to the world of Kevin McCullough, radio, etc., etc. But it's been a while since she's been with us because she's been busy. She was a press secretary for the president. She's got a thriving career at Fox News Channel. She's a busy, busy mom, and she's just written her second book, which is already a bestseller. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome Kaylee McEnany. Hello, Lady Kaylee. How are you? Days, but mostly with the mom part you mentioned. So well, I have a three-year-old like next to me. Let's hope that she doesn't decide to join the interview. <laughs> yes, that is a good part. 
Well, at this at this microphone, it's great uh, to join you. children's input is always welcomed. I talk to a lot of moms, Bethany Mandel, Carol Markowitz. There's tons of women that are on my show that uh, have have children and they've grown up while they've been doing the show and so forth. And when you met, when we met, you were an intern at Fox News working for Governor Huckabee, and now you got two kids. Like sometimes it just blows my brain, Kaylee, how 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 far we've come. Um, I want to ask you about time like, flies. Yep. I want to ask you about a series of things. Um, these days, I don't. I don't know Corinne Jean Pierre personally in any capacity. I don't. Uh, I don't like a lot of her politics. I don't generally tend to uh, try to form opinions about people that I don't know very well. But there's there's certainly a, a sense of empathy that I have had for her in recent days. And John Kirby and a few other press secretaries in the administration, because it seems like they are being constantly asked to peddle a bill of goods that they may not know, but that are obviously patently false. And I'm just curious if you could compare your days behind that podium to what you see happening in that press room on a regular basis. Yeah, you know, initially I wondered uh, how much access the press secretary had to the president because Jim Saki was asked um, if she had Oval Office walk-in privileges and she declined to say, which led me to believe, you know, who are you speaking for if you don't have regular access to the president of the United States? Just based on what I saw, uh, it seems like that was remedied and perhaps she was, you know, led into more meetings throughout her tenure and Karine Jean-Pierre, it seems to be the case. I saw her sitting at the NATO table with the president. So perhaps they've woken up to the fact that you need your spokesperson um, to, to kind of be in the know as to what the president of the United States is thinking. Um, but it's a, a fun job, a challenging job. I think one of the, the reasons um, I was able to do the job um, was because of my interest in the subject matter. I loved policy myself. Mm -hmm. I was interested in it. So I would regularly pick up the phone, talk to department heads, ask for data, you know, ask where they got their sourcing and their facts. And because it was a passion, I think it came through at the podium. So I think to thrive at the job, you've got to, you've got to be an investigator yourself and, and want to and have interest in these matters. Well, and certainly I think, Kaylee, your time behind the podium was like that. And by the way, for the record, I think, a, I, and I've known several of you in that position. I knew you, I knew Sarah Sanders, maybe longer than any of the others. I I, I knew Sean, I knew uh, Dana, I knew Tony Snow, I knew Ari Fleischer. I mean, I've known a lot of people in that position. And the what one of the things I've always appreciated about at least those of you that I had contact with is that there was a real effort at least for those of you that worked in those administrations, to tell the truth. My frustration, and you kind of skated on the question a little bit, but I'll give you a second uh, swipe at it here. It seems like this group is either being prevented from telling the truth, or maybe they're participating in some level. I mean, just the Coke in the White House story has changed three times on where the location was, and she puts up questions like, or she puts up protestations like, I'm not going to comment. It's the Secret Services investigation. And then, oh, by the way, let me fill in the blank on a bunch of information that doesn't really help you gather an opinion about it. I'm just going to add you add some stuff to it that you didn't ask for. In other words, it sometimes feels like there's uh, there's smoke and mirrors going on. Well, there for sure is. I mean, with the cocaine story, for instance, to your point, the story changed many times. If this would have happened under my tenure, I would have gone to the Secret Service office myself and said, tell me the story. This can't keep changing. What is the truth of the matter? Um, the, the absolutely incomprehensible answers to, is this a Biden family member that we should be thinking about? First, you have a deputy that cites 
the Hatch Act, which has nothing to do with that. The Hatch Act has right. to do with not affecting elections. Then Karine Jean-Pierre gets another stab at the question, and she mocks the questioner and says, that's an irresponsible question. If I was in the White House, I would have gone to Trump and said, there, what do you say? And he said, he would say, absolutely not. And I would have gone to the podium and said, I spoke with the president. He said, under no circumstance, was this a member of the Trump family? So why right. she didn't do that? I mean, I'll leave that to your listeners to answer, but uh, it's it's been confounding uh, the head in the sand approach we've seen on this subject matter in particular. Well, and I'm going to speculate here. This is me, not Kaylee, saying it, but I don't I don't think it's that confounding. I think it's just a cover up. I think that it's pretty easy to see that there's one person in the president's inner circle who's a former addict, has written about it in a book. We have a laptop full of pictures that seem to demonstrate it. And uh, and it wasn't just the coke, Kaylee. Did you hear about the two bags of weed they found uh, just before the end of the year? I mean, this is evidently there's a lot going on in that White House. Yeah, there uh, evidently there is. And, you know, you if I, I would say this, if I'm Joe Biden and my press secretary and the deputy have answered in this manner, I would have been upset if this was not my family member. I would have said, look, this is inexcusable communications coming from the White House press shop. Yeah. But what did he do? He was he has been asked about it and he is silent on the matter. So yep. it all adds to suspicions among the American public as to why the president won't even answer the question, much less his press secretary. Well, and I think, you know, that the press secretaries, I mean, you guys all have a life beyond the White House, right? You're always, I mean, you're going to serve your time for the administration that you're with. And then you're looking down the road. And for you, there was always an interest in being in cable TV and being a culture, uh, cultural observer and commentator. And so, and that's what you get to do now. But I think even John Kirby and Corinne Jean-Pierre at some point have to say, well, is this worth falling on my sword for? Am I going to ruin my career uh, just to save this, you know, batty old man in the White House a, a little bit more embarrassment. I, I just don't know how long that lasts. I feel I feel kind of empathetic for him, even though I disagree with him on every every level. Let me ask you, the, um, the new gig at Fox, Middays, uh, you and Harris are tearing it up. Uh, two of my favorite people on planet Earth. Um, how much fun are you having? Oh, it is great. And Emily Campagno, too, the, yes. the three of us, we truly love each other, being around each other. Um, it's a blast, especially as we're heading into the 2024 election season. Um, just it, It's exciting. It's horse race politics, and we're off to the races, not to mention the other fun topics that we do that give our show a lighter feel. Um, and it, we have fun. If you can't tell, we do have fun. Yes. Well, as I said, uh, some of my favorite people uh, sitting on that couch uh, every single day. Uh, and Harris really is one of those, you know, gems of our industry that has just done her thing for as long as she has and at the highest and most excellent level and to have you and emily joining her in that capacity yes. is really cool um, um anything going into iowa i mean the first debate rather this next month that uh, you find particularly intriguing at this point yeah i think going into iowa what i find intriguing is um polling and how it has become such an just erratic barometer. Um, you think about how we went into the midterm elections and it showed a, a torrential red wave. If you looked at any poll, I, I'm talking state-specific poll, national poll, they were all off. It's really important we take a look at it, not even so much for the primary, because we have a lot of great candidates, but for the general election. Because um, if the polling is off and, and we sit on our laurels, um, you know, that that's not an answer, as we saw in midterm 2022. Yeah. All right. Kaylee McEnany, former press secretary for President Trump and the current Fox News commentator and host of Outnumbered. She rejoins us after this quick break. Stay here. Ready or not, we'll be right back. 
Back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. As we were going to break, you probably didn't catch it, but there was a little baby's cry in the background in, in uh, wherever Kaylee McEnany is joining us from, and she uh, uh, and, and that's that's one of her babies, and she's uh, welcome to be on the show along with her lovely mama. <laughs> Serenity in the Storm, Living Through the Chaos. Uh, this is the new book by uh, Kaylee McEnany. And what's the new book about? Why did you feel compelled to write it at this time? And what is it that you want people to get from it? You know, I, I've, we have politics and we have um, our faith. And those are two things that I, I've loved my whole life. One far more than the other, my faith, because um, it animates every other part of my life. But um, when you look at the political landscape, I, I've loved politics since I was an eight-year-old girl. I mean, I was interested in the Bob Dole election. I mean, like going way back. Um, so, you know, <laughs> And that does demonstrate commitment there. If you were a Bob Dole girl at that age, you, you <laughs> yes. had a lot of interest. Hey, I had a lot of interest, yes. Um, but I, I realized growing, going through life that sometimes the church remains separate from the body politics. And of course, there, there shouldn't be a state religion. I'm not suggesting that. But we as churches shouldn't sit on the sidelines because the issues animating the, our cultural conversation um, are issues like life, which scripture has a lot to say on. Um, the Bible is emphatically pro-life. You can't walk away um, without getting that um, that message or education where you see God being chased out of school. And I think a lot of the violence we see is an offshoot of um, children who are not moored in something bigger than themselves, you know, selfie culture, not looking to the creator of self. So this book was an effort to highlight these issues and highlight the importance of faith um, and people of faith having a voice in the political landscape. Some of the things you take on are more of the cultural-based uh, items, and certainly with the roll of the dice that the uh, progressive agenda has put into our schools with this uh, transitioning of children from their biological sex to imagine genders uh, and, and other uh, aspects of some of that type of uh, thing have really threatened mothers in ways that we have not seen in recent years. And I'm curious if you're hunch is that the left may be overplaying its hand when it comes to uh, taking the mother's vote for granted here. There's no doubt about it. Um, so when I wrote Serenity in the Storm, it was before um, a lot of a lot of what we're seeing recently, this coalition of people of faith of different faiths, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, you're seeing protesting across the country saying, you know, in, in the case of Maryland, I believe it was, the Muslim population saying with Christians, so so both groups protesting together saying, you're not even allowing me to opt my child out of a right. curriculum where you're trying to teach sex to my elementary school child and you won't allow me to opt out. Um, so this this uh, total uh, degradation of the parent and separation of the parent from the child, from you know not telling uh, not telling a parent that your child's going by a different pronoun or a different name and locking the parent out of that kind of you know discussion with with their child. Um, it, it's absolutely insidious what we're seeing, and we saw what happened in Virginia, a tremendous victory with Glenn Youngkin, and I think. Uh, not not to be underestimated is this issue of education as we head into a general election next year. Well, even in 22, Kaylee, a lot of people took note that the Republicans didn't take the Senate. And there's a lot of reasons why I think that didn't happen. They did win the House back. But there was a bit of a red wave on the school boards across America. I think there were more than 42 major cities that saw a, a switching uh, in their in their educational um, school boards that went from having transgender 
pushing uh, allies sitting on the boards to now moms and dads, everyday moms and dads that said, no, we're not going to allow that here. And, and they got involved and they got elected. I'm anticipating that since the schools really have not changed their tone since 22, that that's going to be an even more intense area of, uh, of uh, dis discussion this time. I think so. I mean, I, I this poll, and again, we've talked about polling and how it can be off, but um, not off by as large of the margins of what I saw when I looked at this Washington Post poll that asked about these issues. It asked about biological men and women's sports. It asked about teaching sex to kindergarten through third grade. And remember, they called that the quote, don't say gay bill in Florida. That's right, not what right. it was. It was about not teaching sex to kids. When they poll these issues, hormone treatment, um, these are 80-20 issues with on balance, anywhere from 65 to 80% saying, no, 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 no biological men and women's sports. Don't teach sex to my kindergartner. And when I saw yeah. those numbers, I mean, it's jaw dropping. There's a common sense consensus here. And this is where Republicans, they can talk about these issues in a compassionate way. This isn't about discriminating. Um, you know, this is not about anti-LGBTQ legislation. This is about protecting the parent-child relationship and you having a voice. If it can be talked about in the right way, I think that we can have an enormous victory. And this can be one of the reasons. Kaylee McEnany, so good to talk to you, friend, and her newest book, um, uh, Serenity in the Storm, Living Through Chaos by Leaning on Christ. Get your copy. Kaylee, uh, take those babies home. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Kevin. Great to talk to you. Kevin McCullough, coming right back. Don't go away. Ready or not, you'll be right back. Thank you for uh, being with us again tonight. Always special to have you with us on the weekend. Uh, and Kevin McCullough couldn't be happier than to uh, have you here. I've been telling you for the last number of months about our very special campaign to end human slavery in our time. Uh, human trafficking, of course, the big theme of the Sound of Freedom movie. Uh, Jim Caviezel speaking very articulate about that in the uh, first hour tonight. And it really brings home the important and good work that you are doing. Uh, in fact, I, I'm, I'm a little bit blown away. We had, I think it was our biggest week of uh, slave liberation yet uh, since we started the campaign in February. And because of you, as you can see, we're at 93 human lives that have been liberated and uh, rescued. And I just think that is an incredibly important uh, note uh, to bring to you. Uh, again, over the years that we've done this together, uh, there have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 um, human beings that we have helped liberate through the work of Christian Solidarity International and us working together. Uh, you, my viewers and listeners on radio and TV, and um, all of us pulling together. Uh, my family has, on more than one occasion, um, uh, decided that we are going to um, free a slave every single month uh, with CSI, and we've done that for a few years. But I would say all together, all told, all put together, all the people that have come together, we have, um, it's, it's in excess of 3,500 uh, slaves over the last 10 years. And I just want to say thank you for 
that commitment to every single year help us see uh, several hundred more uh, become free. Now, where did these slaves come from? Well, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, there was a civil war in Sudan. Uh, there are still some factions that uh, don't like the outcome there now. But uh, out of that, two countries were created. South Sudan became the youngest country on the planet, and Sudan uh, continues to exist. Uh, but in that war, like many wars, uh, human beings were the were the prize. They were the, the, the spoils. And so the women, particularly, and particularly young girls, were taken uh, out of their home, out of their homeland to the north, where the uh, Arab Sudanese uh, forced them to convert to Islam, some of them experiencing very harsh circumstances, well, all of them experiencing very harsh circumstances, but some of them uh, brutally uh, raped repeatedly over their time in captivity, um, their genitals mutilated, uh, starved for the most part for all those years. They're often only given whatever the the crumbs that are left over from the from the family, and that is very very little uh, when you're talking about a, a very difficult region to begin with. But these uh, these precious precious women and children. Uh, have been also over the last 15 years since the war has been over. They First of all, their future was not determined when the world powers came together and ended the war. They ended the civil war, but they did not do anything about the uh, the, the captivity and the, and the women that had been enslaved. And so uh, as a result, um, it has been the work of Christian Solidarity International and private uh, groups that have gone in, negotiated freedom, uh, and with CSI's case, uh, we have seen over the course of those many years uh, nearly 135,000 um, slaves be liberated. Now, there are probably 35 to 40,000 left that we have not yet um, been able to liberate. Some of them, it's a, a difficulty finding them because they don't always look like slaves uh, if, if they're... Um, you know, in an, in an impoverished area, and they are already uh, under difficult circumstances. But the Arab retrievers that CSI is working with uh, goes and finds them. And when they do, uh, we get their name, we know who the slave master is that they serve, uh, and then we're able to negotiate their freedom. Where you and I come in, and this is really what's exciting, is that we get to give them everything they need for their new life. Uh, for one slave that is liberated, um, and it's a basic transaction of a cattle vaccine for a slave. Uh, this is how this is how um, insignificant the life of the slave is to the slave master that he would take a vaccine for his cattle in exchange for it. But when that transaction goes down, the slave is able to um, leave with the retriever to a recovery camp at the border of South Sudan. Uh, from there, they get medical treatment. They get some um, counseling help. They get some uh, just freedom to be able to articulate what's happened to them. In many cases, they've not been allowed to speak uh, on a daily basis to uh, other human beings. Um, and if they do, uh, you know, punishment awaits them. But in, in the recovery camp, they have counseling, they have medical uh, care. Sometimes they need uh, treatment for injuries or uh, disease that may have gone undiagnosed or untreated as uh, they were living in captivity. But once they are kind of on the mend and uh, kind of in a place where they're more able to to face the next uh, layer of life, because it's a big shock. A lot of these girls were taken when they were just little, uh, under age 10 even in some cases. Um, but they 
tell their story to the CSI uh, personnel. They figure out the region that they're from, and then the CSI folks help them get back to either family members or their original home areas as they are there. And that's significant because when the slave shows up in their hometown, it is it is a massive party. Think prodigal son story in the Bible, but like on speed. It's just really uh, amazing. Now, uh, in addition to that, uh, they are given um, what's called a, a, a bag of hope, but it's, it's so much more than just a bag. Um, let me tell you everything that's in it. Uh, a year's worth of sorghum grain for them to use as food to be able to feed themselves. Um, sorghum is the kind of grain of choice in that region, and it's very easy for them to, to use and uh, cook, and they've likely done so in captivity on some level for their slave masters. So they have a, a year's worth of food. They have another year's worth of seed to plant to grow more sorghum. So they've got immediate food, and they've got food in the future. They're given all kinds of utensils and tools and uh, things that will help them against the weather and be able to sleep and be more comfortable and uh, towels and blankets and other things that they'll need. Uh, then in addition to that, there, um, there are utensils for gardening, for fishing, for cooking. Uh, they'll need all of those things uh, in uh, supporting themselves. And there's other things included in that bag. And then not in the bag, but part of the bag is a she-goat that every one of them get, and they get to um, use that goat to make uh, goat kids, uh, goat cheese, goat milk, uh, support themselves with a microenterprise business, and uh, be able to do it all uh, to help themselves. Friends, that's what you give for $250 when you call right now, 888-342-1010, 888-342-1010, or just go online to bringherhome.org. Ready or not, we'll be right back. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, going international tonight, Justin Gesso and Andrea Berg. When hope feels hopeless, then you feel small. I will be there through the fall.
Lasso and Andrea Bird. And I'll be there rounding out that Kevin show for this week. Great show planned for you next week. Hope you'll join us Saturday and Sunday here at the same place and same time. See you then.